Louisville, Garland, Dallas, Plano, Global Family, and those of you who stayed home today. Um, thank you from your bed. Thank you for being here from your couch. Thank you for being here from the gym. You can go to the gym, but you can't come to church. Um, but I'm, but I'm, just, I'm just glad you're in the house of God, wherever you are. <laughs> Woo! So if you, had, if you had the gym, speed up that treadmill and um, uh, worship God on it. Here we go. Uh, two weeks ago, I had a general thought. Every, every, every message, I try to give you one big idea for you to, for you to forget. So two, two weeks ago, the big idea was simply this. If you can see as God sees, then you will do as God says. Say it with me twice, everybody. This is a very important principle, by the way, especially with your parenting, because we love to tell them, do what I say. Right. Do what I say. But the beautiful thing, there should be a time in your life when you stop saying, do what I say, and they start seeing what you see. So say it with me. Um, what does God want us to do? He wants, if you can see as God sees, then you will do what God says. Two more times. If you can see what God sees, then you will do what God says. Last time, if you can see what God sees, then you will do what God says. Which therefore means, if you're not doing what God says, it's because you ain't seeing life the way he sees it. Somebody has duped you into thinking there's another way to see God. And so if you, if, you'll, if you can see what God sees, then you'll do what God says. Then, then last week we said, if you're too big for the small things, then you're too small for the big things. If you're too big for the small things, then you're too small for the big things. Somebody need to hear that today. Two more times. If you're too big for the small things, then you're too small for the big things. Last time, everybody. If you're too for the, then you're too for the, you got it. All right. So today we have one thought, but I'm not going to give it to you just yet, uh, because if I give it to you, you're going to run up out of here. So I'm going to wait and give it to you a little further into the talk so we get there. All right. Uh, we're going to look at um, uh, the, the, the Gospel of John, chapter 12. This is right before the upper room discourse, when he takes his 12, goes up in the room and starts to have a meal with them, Passover meal. Then he has communion with them. Then he heads straight to the cross, all right? So this is before that, six days before that, he's in, he's in Bethlehem, two miles, around two miles away from where Jerusalem was. And so he is, he, is, he is going to the house of a leper. And Jesus likes to hang out with people we don't like to hang out with. So he goes to his house, which is where we find Lazarus reclining after Jesus just raised him from the dead. And now you have Pharisees on the outside trying to kill him because too many people are coming to the way. It wasn't called Christianity. It was called the way. Too many people are coming to the way, so they want to take him out. And then you have Mary and Martha in the house, and then you have another dude in the house called Judas. That's the context. Let's stand and see what the passage has to say to us on today, and let's go from there. Can y'all see that pretty good? Yeah? All right. Here we go, everybody. Read it with me, please. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So it wasn't Bethlehem, it was Bethany. Sorry. Two miles away. Um, uh, so he, he, Lazarus is there. He goes to the house of the leper. And Jesus just raised him from the dead. Everybody is amazed. Oh, my God. Can't believe it. He really is God. Ooh. Next verse. 
So they made him a supper there, and Martha was, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. What was Martha doing? What was Lazarus doing? Chilling. That's it. That's it. He was chilling. Lazarus talked about, I still can't believe it. I was dead, but now I'm alive. Oh, my God. Is this the Jesus? Lord, have mercy. I can feel my, oh, my gosh, I'm alive. Okay, next verse. Here we go. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, when you read this passage, you're supposed to be taken aback. Many of you were not. And it's because you're reading it with the 21st century perspective. But if you're back then, uh, the idea of public affection was not cool. You're supposed to, what's she doing? She's not supposed to do that. You're supposed to be gasping because everything she does here, uh, according to that culture, she's not supposed to do. But when you're overwhelmed, with the goodness, mercy, and grace of God, it make you do something that other people gasp about. So she, she couldn't help it. She, she was so in love with who Jesus was, she said, I got to do something to express myself. Next verse. There's another, though. There was another. But, no, 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 don't run past it so quickly. Mary was serving, and no, Martha was serving. Mary was worshiping. Contrast, but Judas Iscariot, the one of the disciples. Stop right there. Have you ever gone to church, see somebody worshiping, and then become critical of them? You see somebody overwhelmed with the, with, with, with the mercy, the grace, the goodness, the love of God, and you'll be like, it don't take all that. You'll be like, can we just get to the word? You'll be like, I'm just sick. Oh, God, did I have to get up there every Sunday? I just can't take it. It's just too much. You ever complain when somebody else is worshiping? That spirit ever overwhelm you where you start becoming, God, I don't like that song. Why do you keep singing? I don't like it. I just need another song that I like better. You ever say that? Somebody is worshiping the goodness of God, and you not worshiping, you complaining. I wonder if there's anybody like Judas in here today. Other folk just falling out. You fed up. What is wrong with you? You think Judas is bad, you bad too. Criticize, I can't believe the music ain't right, the, the sound ain't right, the, everything ain't right. All you're doing is complain. Instead of saying, God, in the, the devil, I rebuke you. Get out of my life and let me worship the king of kings. It get worse though. It get worse. Judas, who was intending to betray him. Here's what he said. Hmm. Next one. Why was this perfume not for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Well, y'all doing the wrong thing with the money. Y'all need to do what I think y'all need to do with the money. What y'all need to do is y'all need to get that money to people who don't have it. That's what y'all need to do. 
Next verse. You got to see yourself in the Bible sometimes. He said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a crook. No, crook. Say crook. <laughs> and as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what? You ever face all those folk who love to see this? Is why I don't like church. I don't like church because all they want to do is that's all they want to do. They just don't want to do. They need to get to the right people. They ain't giving it. You ever find somebody like that? Put yourself in the Bible. No, put yourself in the Bible. Don't be so mad at Judas when we have some of the same tendencies. Okay, you don't like that one. All right, let, let me walk down your life. You ever, you ever question whether or not this was a legit expense to put on your taxes? Crooks! Crooks! <laughs> you ever question it and be like, well... This one iffy, this one iffy, but guess what? I need to pay less taxes, so I'm going to put it on there. They're not going to audit me. They're not going to audit me. I'm good, Judas. <laughs> Be careful when we always want to point the finger at somebody else. Because we got tendencies too. We want to criticize folks. They, why they, why they wear that to church? They're talking about they worshiping God. If you're worshiping God, you wouldn't wear that. Just stop, just rebuke the devil for even saying that. Just let the people worship. They're not like you, and it's okay. They don't have to be like you. Amen. And don't be complaining about, well, what they, I need no, I need to see everything they're doing with the money. But the only reason you want to see is because you got money issues. Because we sure, anybody that want to see anything we do, y'all can see it. We ain't scared of none of y'all. <laughs> Here's the problem, though. The ones that always want to see always got some other issue going on. <laughs> last verse. Come on, y'all crazy. Y'all crazy. Last, last. <laughs> By the way, if you're at another campus, <laughs> they don't know what I just did. Uh, if, I'm at, if you're at another campus, uh, we had some boys for the first time do a little step show, some, some alpha dude and some, some, uh, some dudes were here showing their little stuff from college. They're trying to prepare the kids now from college. But it was about Jesus today. I don't know what it's about them other times, but today it was about Jesus. So we'll give them a pass today. We'll give them a pass. <laughs> Somebody gonna get mad and send us out. Some dude gonna get mad in some frat. Get mad. I love all of them. I love all of y'all when you love Jesus. Uh, let's finish so I can get back to my point. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it. Don't miss this. Many of the disciples didn't even believe that Jesus was going to the cross. They, 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 they couldn't fathom it. But for some reason, Mary got it. She got it. She was the first, she was one of the first to the, uh, to the tomb. And this gives us an inclination that she knew what was coming. 
before any of the men knew what was coming. Which one are you? Are you Mary in this story? Or are you Jesus, Judas? Are you Mary? The question I have, the title of the message is, how's your love life? I want to talk to you today about your love life. You may be seated. Let's see what God has to say to us today. How is your, look at, be careful with this one. Look at your neighbor and say, how's your love life? Don't answer it. Just say, I got to watch you all sometime. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, how's your love life? I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear. <laughs> Father, thank you for today. Thanks for the opportunity around your word. Lead us, teach us, open our hearts so that we can see what you see, so we can do what you have said. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? We've talked about giving and giving generously. We've talked about serving and serving sacrificially. Today I want to talk about love. Today I want to talk about love. Give, serve, love. Say that with me. Give, serve, love. There's a passage in the Gospel of John, the 13th chapter, two verses that really was overwhelming to people in Jesus' day. They couldn't get it. They couldn't fathom it. They couldn't understand what Jesus meant. They just were perplexed by these two verses. And I want to I start here today. John chapter 13, verse 34. Again, when you read a text, you're supposed to know what, what you're supposed to do. When the text starts off, a new commandment I give to you. You should gasp again. You should be like, a new commandment? Who are you? We only have the 10. What do you mean a new commandment I give to you? That's supposed to be very offensive if you are a Pharisee and if you're a scribe. It's supposed to be very offensive because you're like, I know the 10. Are you giving us a new commandment on what Yahweh has already given to us? What is wrong? Are you God to give us a new commandment? To which Jesus would say, yeah, I am. That's why I'm giving you a new commandment. Listen to what he says. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now, now, because we have so distorted the word love, when you read that, it doesn't mean anything to you. So let me remind you of its, of its original meaning. New commandment I give to you, that you may love one another. Here we go. But he doesn't, he, he doesn't allow you to define how to love. He tells you how, and he tells you the standard, and he tells you the model that you should love somebody. He don't want you to love like your mama loved you. He don't want you to love you like your ex loved you. He don't want you to love like your daddy loved you. He says, I want you to love one another. Here we go. Here's the standard. Even as I have loved you. There it is. That's the problem in the whole Bible. God wants us to love like he loves. Ain't nobody want to love like God loves? No. Sorry. I don't want to love like God loves. Because God says, I want you to love me like I love you, which means the same scoop I gave to you, I want you to give to everybody else. So if my scoop is big, then your scoop needs to be big. If, if, if your scoop is small, that means it's not God's love. If you're loving somebody and it's easy to love, that's cool. That ain't God's love. You must love somebody that's hard to love. And he says, when, when you didn't want to have nothing to do with me, and you were running as far as you can away from me, I came running after you. Now he says, that's what I want you to do with the person I'm going to bring to your mind in a minute. Oh, he's going to bring somebody to your mind. He actually, he's going to bring a whole team to your mind. 
Because there's some folk that you have justified not loving. There's some folk that you have allowed the culture to determine that they're not worthy of your love. To which Jesus is going to say to you today, I didn't ask you to love them the way you love people. I asked you to love them the way I love you. So how are you loving the people that I've placed into your life? That becomes the question on the floor. So he says, um, uh, I want you to love uh, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another with the standard I have given you. And then he says an even more potent verse, verse 35. He continues, he says, your number one witnessing tool, Christians, the number one way you evangelize today, Christians, is by showing people how to love those who are hard to love. He says anybody at your job can love when things are going well. The reason you're at that job is to show them how to love when things are not going well. He says your job is to be a beacon of light and of hope so that the world can see that it is possible to love somebody who hates you. He says that's your assignment. He says by this all men will know that you are my disciple if you go to church. If you listen to five different sermons every morning. If you serve in church, if you give in church, if you show up and serve all week, if you volunteer during the week, he says, none of those. He says, here's how they're going to know that you love them. If you have love for one another. This is how, which means if you don't have love for one another, you should question if you're his disciple. Let's flip it again. If you don't have love for your ex, You should ask if you're a disciple. Here we go now. So, ladies and gentlemen, to set this whole thing up, I want to introduce to you a frame of reference. Everybody say the phrase with me. Frame of reference. One more time. Frame of reference. This is very important. It really, really is. So give me the next three minutes to explain this to you. Ladies and gentlemen, everybody grows up with a frame of reference. Everybody does. We all do. Your frame of reference determines the decisions you make. The frame of reference, your frame of reference, determines how you act and how you behave. And your frame of reference determines the hope that you have for a future. All of that is determined by your frame of reference. Now, what that means then is your frame of reference determines who you bring into your life and who you kick out of your life. Your frame of reference determines and reminds you that um, when somebody shows up, how you should love them. For the Pharisees, their frame of reference was they have to know the Torah, they have to know the law, they have to live by the law. And because of that, they, they, they cared very little about people and they cared more about the law. Which means when, when, when somebody violated the law, then they didn't care about who they were, they only cared about the fact that you violated the law. So therefore, when you come and you're interacting with them, they really don't care about you. What they really care about is, are you following the law to the letter, to the, to the, to the, to the, to the letter of the T? Are you following the law? That's their frame of preference. No, many of you still live that way. You really do. So if you're, if you're growing up, by the way, in a very, let's say, religious perspective or a very um, uh, moralistic perspective, then all you care about is, are you following the letter of the law? You don't care about the person. 
You care about are you following the law? And so you'll be interacting with people and they'll just, they'll just cut you off. I mean, what did I do? Well, you violated the letter of the law. So because you did, now they don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. That's, that's Old Testament living brought into the New Testament. And that's how people still live. There's some of you, you're growing up, your parents cared so much about academics, especially if you're international. So now, all they care about is, are you doing your work? And so every perspective you have, your frame of reference is, I better get good grades, I better get good grades, I better get good grades. Because what matters most, more than anything else to your parents were, are you getting good grades? That's why they don't care about the, the kid themselves sometimes because they care about the grades those kids are getting. And if you're not careful, they're going to grow up and they're going to continue to do what you did to them. Live a fear-based life exclusively based on grades. There's some of you that grew up in a, in a, in a frame of reference that says, I believe in karma. Karma. So that means, hey, man, it's just karma, man. It's just, it's just what just happened, man. What happened to you is what's going to happen to you. That's just it. And that's how you grew up. So when something happens, hey, man, it's just karma. It's my faith. It's what's supposed to happen. So I'll just deal with it. Some of you grew up with that perspective. Then there's some of you, lastly, that grew up with an entire um, scientific perspective or an opportunistic perspective, which opportunistic says, well, I'm, yeah, man, the next big thing's just around the corner. And you live your every single day of your life waiting for the next big thing to happen. Because that's a perspective. Now, here is the problem with a frame of reference. So let's say you grew up in church and you try and do the right thing and you teach your kids good. When you have a frame of reference, please listen to this. When you have a frame of reference and your kids go off to college, somebody go and challenge that frame of reference. So now you're going to have pressure or pleasure that confronts your frame of reference. So you go to college and they said, well, Hey, man, look at here. You don't have to do none of that stuff your parents thought. Listen, that's old school stuff. So all of a sudden, they don't feel right anymore about the frame of reference that you brought them up in. So they decide, I'm going to change that frame of reference. So let me give you some hard illustrations. So let's say your illustration is um, your, your, your kid meet a girl or meet a dude, and so they're going to live together for, you know, just to make the expenses cheaper so they can bring it all together. Now, here's what they do. But the frame of reference you brought them up in don't allow for that. So now they feel guilty. So guess what they have to do? When you feel guilty, you have to go to a frame of reference that don't make you feel guilty no more so you can live in freedom so you don't feel the pressure of your frame of reference. Oh, I wish somebody got it. I wish somebody got it. So now I got to change my frame of reference so that I don't feel guilty so I can live free. There's some of you that do it for tithing. I don't want tithe. They just, they, 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 I just can't stand them. They all the ones people money. So now what do you do? You go find a frame of reference where you don't have to do it. So that now you feel good because you walk around and say, oh yeah, I've been delivered from that. Listen to your language. I've been delivered from that. No, all that happened is somebody changed your frame of reference so you don't feel bad anymore, so you can do what you want to do. Listen, family, the world is trying to change your frame of reference, which is why they have to get rid of this Bible, because the Bible gives a frame of reference for how God wants us to act. So they have to fight against it. So don't be surprised when they fight against it. And they're going to choose some incredible ways to fight against it that I'm going to show you in a minute. But in the text, the problem is that God says, Old Testament, listen to me, Old Testament, I'm going to summarize the whole law in two thoughts. Love God, 
Love your neighbor as yourself. So here's what he says. God, a new commandment I've given to you, which is really the same commandment. I want to take all the books of the Old Testament, and they can all fit on the one deal. Uh, go back to the first one. They can all fit on the one deal, which is love God and love your neighbor. All the Old Testament books. So he says, here's a new commandment, but it's really the same commandment because all 10 are summarized in these two. That's how good your Jesus is. He summarizes them all. Then he goes to the New Testament and says, see, all these six, six books, here's all I want you to do. Love just as I've loved you. That's why love is so important. Because he says, love just as I've loved you. In other words, don't tell anybody you love Jesus if the person in front of you can't get your love. Let me say it another way. If you want to measure how much you love Jesus, then measure how you're doing in your love life with other people. Because if you're not loving the people God's bringing in front of you, then it's, it's a reflection of a lack of a relationship with Jesus. Oh, say that again, Pastor. Say that again, Pastor. Let me help you out. Let me say it one more time. If, if it is revealed that you're not loving the people in front of you, then it is also revealing something else that you haven't even expressed. And that is that you don't have a good relationship with Jesus. Because the measure of how much you love God is how much you love others. Back in the Old Testament, the measure of how much you love God is whether or not you obeyed him. Not in the New Testament. The New Testament is your relationship with Jesus will be of such where because you love him so much, you don't want to do what he says not to do because you're in love with him. So the motivation then becomes, I love Jesus so much. I don't want to hurt my Jesus. So therefore, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sin against him. Instead, I'm going to do what he has asked me to do. So let me show you now what this looks like when you pick up both of them. So, go to your notes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break down these two because of why and how important this is. Let's go to the first one. So, there are two. There's a vertical morality, and there's a, this is so important. It will set you free as a believer. It really will. So, therefore, you have the vertical morality, and you have the horizontal morality. This is Old Testament. This is New Testament. You live on the here. You don't live on the here. Old Testament says, I have to obey God. Why? Watch this. The promise was given to a nation. If you obey me, I will bless you, nation. If you disobey me, I will curse you, nation. That's not given to you as an individual, which is what the new covenant is all about. The old covenant said, hey, I'm, you, you asked this question, am I good with God at the end of the day? The old covenant says, how close can I get to the line without making God mad? Some of you still live like that. You do. You, you say, okay, God, this is the line right here. This is what I cannot do. And you love to play with a line. So you come over here and you dangle a foot over here just to see how it's going. It's not going too bad. Then you come over here. Then you dangle a foot. And then all your life, this is what you do. Ooh, 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 ooh. And you're playing with it. And God said, the, the goal of the Old Testament is, ooh, you, you, you can do it, but don't let him catch you. New Testament has something completely different to say. Because God's not as concerned about that. Watch it. Old Testament, it was a cause and effect. Old Testament, it was, a, it was a commitment and a covenant with a nation. The result was, listen, what you believe, it was a believe thing. Do you believe? Do you know the word and do you believe it? Flip it to the New Testament. Watch it now. New Testament said, I, I want to know, how do you love others? The way you measure your relationship with God is how you love other people. 
If you don't love them, that means you have a bad relationship. So don't be walking around talking about I'm blessed and highly favored. You're not if you don't love one another. You're not blessed and highly favored. Here's what you are. You're disobedient, but still favored. The text continues. It says, it says, it says, am I, am I good in my relationships at the end of the day? This one says, am I good with God? This one says, for you to know how good you are, you ought to ask the question, am I good with my relationships with God? Here's why this is important. That's why communion is so important. Because communion, he says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. What's he trying to get us to do? Look around at your relationships and see if they're good. If they're not, go fix it and then come back because now you are displaying a heart that's fully devoted to me. The reason you have communion is to make sure you clean house every week. So right now I want you to bring, God's bringing some people to mind that you have not loved like you're supposed to love. Bring them up. Because at the end of this, I'm going to ask you to stand. If you have two or three or a team of people that you need to love. Because some of you are not going to be in two minutes, you're going to talk yourself out of it. So I need to get 20 minutes to process it so you can't talk yourself out of it because the Holy Ghost is going to keep coming back. Da, 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 da. And he's going to give you the name. So start writing as soon as he brings one up. Write the name down because you're going to bring them all up before God on today. Here we go. Let's finish up. So he says, the New Testament is your scoop versus God's scoop. God says, it, my scoop is big. Your scoop better be big too. God says, what scoop am I using to deal with you? you, you God says, whatever scoop that is, I shouldn't be promoting nobody. Let's go right there. Whatever scoop that is, he says, that's the scoop I'm going to use for you. So some of you walk around talking about, well, for my ex, that's all he gets. Somebody's talking about, for my boss, that's all he get, she get. Somebody's talking about, for my employees, there's this one particular one, mm-mm, actually, they don't get none. <laughs> and that's how you live in your life. Talk, and then you roll, roll up in church talking about, he's a good God. How can he be that good if what he's given to you is not being poured out of you? How can he be that good? That, 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 that he is willing to use a massive scoop for all your drama. And you talking about, okay, listen, God, I'm trying. I'm trying, God. I'm trying. That's all I got, God. This is, this is my, I know your scoop. I know your scoop is this whole stage. But this is my scoop, God. God bless you. That's all I, I got. I'm trying, God. At least I'm trying, God. I'm trying. I gave him a little cap. And you're proud of your little cap. Well, that's what makes it sad, that you're proud of it. Like you done did something. Like you all that. The, the agreement is with individuals, and the result is a do thing. God says, don't tell me you love me if you cannot love the person in front of you. Everybody thinks it's easier to follow the law than to love. Absolutely not. Because to love the person that despises you is a whole nother level. Now, I, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know y'all issue. I know your issue. I know your issue. I know. Some of you are so smart. This is the problem. We're so smart, we have determined that we don't hate nobody. You, you've masterfully, God, you know what, man? I'm not hating nobody. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try and love them. I, I, I'm not going to hate. Yes, you do. You're lying to yourself. You hate some folk. I, you just call it something else. Because you know it's bad to call it hate. So you use other terminology. 
You don't believe me, do you? Here go the terminology you use. I don't hate them, God. I don't hate them. Uh, it's terminology like this. This is what you're going to use. You're going to say, you're gonna say I just prefer not to be around them. That's it, God. I, I'm just going to chill. By the way, on, on TikTok yesterday, I saw, I, I saw them say, hey, just, just, just don't be around them. So that's what I'm going to do. Here's what they've done. They've just changed your frame of reference so that you, so that you feel good about yourself. You change your frame of reference so you can feel godly. And God said, no, you're not. You're not. But, but, but we, we, we're more sophisticated than that one. Here's another one. Let me just reject them. I just reject. I just, here's another one. I just consider them unimportant. You, don't, you mean nothing to me? You're actually dead to me. But you don't call it hate because hate just sounds too strong. So you come up, you tell your heart and your brain, your brain tells your heart to come up with, no, your heart asks your brain, come up with some reasons so I can feel good about myself even though I hate them. So you just have some synonyms, some words that are similar. Here you go. You say, hey, just put them on the periphery, the periphery of your life. Put them, they're not in the center no more. Just kick them out of there and just keep them out of there and don't talk to them. If they call you, you'll, talk, you'll say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay, then bye. But you know your heart. You're done with them. You know your heart. Some of you are done with the person beside you. No, he didn't. Not in church. Oh, you expect me to go home now? Am I driving home with the person? They know I can't stand a bone in their body no more. You can hear a rag drop. You see them as less than. Less than. You maintain a bad attitude about them. You just can't stand seeing them. They make your skin crawl. Your heart beats faster when they're around. Not because you like them, but because you can't stand them. Get them out of my presence. Now, by the way, this the same... This the same son of God and daughter of God. So if you do it to them, you're doing it to God. Okay, you don't feel me. Um, you don't, it's okay, you don't feel me. Let me see if I can explain. Yesterday I went to some, <clears throat> you know, I'm doing all these soccer games now and they're driving me nuts, but I'm making it, I'm making it. Um, so yesterday my son had a game. Um, his team's playing and they're doing good. It's 0-0 zero, zero after the first half and they go to the second half. And in the second half, the crazies come out. Oh, you got some crazy parents. So everybody's, you know, it's a competitive game, so they're trying to get the ball, they slide tackling. Oh, my gosh, okay. All that, that's going on. But on this one time, this kid, it's, my, it's our team, but it was my son, praise the Lord. I wouldn't tell you the story. Um, so this kid slide tackled somebody, but it wasn't that bad. But the kid has been watching sports on TV. So, so he falls down. And then he starts hollering. You think blood is gushing. That ain't the bad part. So then it's right in, so it's happening right there. This is the sideline right here. So his mom is right here. Now in soccer, you're not supposed to come on the field. The ref supposed to call the coach and the coach supposed to come over to see what's up. That's what's supposed to happen. 
but not in Collin County where they think they run the world. So this little mama said, get off the field. No, he didn't say, I, I, was, say, I was replaying this in my mind. I didn't say anything out loud. I just said, get off this field. You don't run nothing over here. The, the referee says, excuse me, ma'am, can you go? Oh, yeah, my son's hurt, my son's hurt, my son's hurt. And so the referee beckons for the coach to come up. By the time the coach is halfway, he gets this boy, gets up, starts jogging over. Somebody hurt him, somebody. Baby girl, he just got up. It's okay, baby girl. <laughs> somebody need to feel it. Send him off, send him off. He, he's okay, look at it. He's right here, you can see him. He's running around. If you like that mom, just raise your hand. Let's pray for you. <laughs> Trust and obey, there's no other way to be happy with Jesus. Some of y'all crazy too. And let me see one of y'all. I'll come over and say, it don't look good on you. Walk back over. Anyways, so here's why that lady did that. Because if you hurt her, if you hurt her son, you hurt her. Can I tell you what our Heavenly Father says? If you hurt one of my sons and one of my daughters, you're hurting me. So you can fool yourself like you're all fine, but you've just done that to me. There's no wiggle room, ladies and gentlemen. We got to own it. No wiggle room. You got to realize I'm in need and I need to say, God, will you empower me to love my neighbor like you've asked them to ask me to love them? God, will you empower me to love my in-laws? Will you empower me to love my ex? Will you empower me to love my employees? Will you empower me to love them like you love me? Use the same scoop that you gave me. I need to use it toward them and there is no wiggle room. I don't care what the culture says about put them on the periphery of your life. I don't care what the culture says cut them out of your life that is not what the word of God says and you have a responsibility to make sure you maintain the frame of reference that God gave you so now 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 so you want to know why we switch our frame of reference I'm gonna show you go to Hebrews chapter 12 I'm gonna show you why we switch oh this is so important for you especially if you have teenagers or if you're a teenager or if you have kids who have wavered away do you know why people wander away because because when pressure and pleasure shows up people start to wonder if the way they're living life is the right way to live life and the more they wonder wonder consider then the more they wander off it happens daily. Don't miss this. You have a frame of reference. Jesus is who you're supposed to be focusing on, but you don't fix your eyes on Jesus. Every person that's ever wondered, here's what happens to them. They fix their eyes on something else apart from Jesus, and then that causes them to wonder. It causes them first to ponder, to reflect, to wonder, and then from there they start to wander off to something else. That's why when the bottom falls out from some people, they say, I don't want nothing to do with God anymore because they took their eyes off Jesus. That's why in churches, when you build a church upon, upon, upon serving, and then when somebody hurt them while they're serving, it's because they've, their eyes have been shifted toward that person. Or if it's church and the church, then the eyes have been shifted. But, but Jesus told you who you need to fix your eyes on. 
Let's pick it up and see what he says. Hebrews chapter 12. Here's what it says. Therefore, since, we're sur- since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surround us, let us lay aside stuff that wants to drift us away. Let's lay aside the sin which easily entangles us, the, the, the pressure or the pleasure. Let us run with endurance the race that, has, that is set before. In other words, there is one race with one perspective that God wants you to run with. But every single time, the enemy is going to bring pressure and pleasure, and it's going to cause our eyes to move from being fixed onto Jesus to fixed onto something else. If you're in the church world, it might be the pastor, and you fix your eyes on the pastor. And so when the pastor acts a plum fool, now you want to leave Jesus. You can't leave Jesus. Because he says, fix your eyes on who? Jesus. So next verse, here's what it says. Next verse says this. So after you do that, then the next verse says, verse number two, says, fixing our eyes on, come on, everybody. Come on, fixing our eyes on, last time, fixing our eyes on, why? Why are we fixing our eyes on it? Because he's the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Whenever you allow somebody else to cause your eyes to be removed from Jesus, your frame of reference changes. And when it changes, you have now drifted into a whole other world. You'll see it in your friends when they start talking about, yeah, this is why I don't go to church no more. Here's all that happened. Something caused their eyes to be removed from Jesus. And when it does, of course you don't want to feel guilty. Of course you don't want to feel shame. So you got to put yourself in a frame of mind and a frame of reference that doesn't allow for that. And the good news that they don't know is that Jesus died for your shame. Jesus died for your guilt. So you don't have to feel guilt because of what's happened in the past anymore. That's why he hung on a cross. So that guilt is not the motivation for you anymore. The motivation for you is now the love, the overwhelming love of God. We call it his great mercy. That's what drives you now. Because he says, I've dealt with the issue of sin. Now what drives you is, I don't deserve this mercy so let me appreciate it and let me walk in the newness of life that he has given me because of his great mercy toward us. So let's see if we can finish it, then I'm done. I'm done. Turn the page over. Let's see if we can get through this real quick. So, so what does he say? There's a research done about the brain. About the brain. I have two brain, brain up here. So here's the research that's done about it. It says... What happens to the brain when you, put it, when you put the brain through an MRI and you try to evaluate people who are in love? Don't miss this. You're trying to evaluate people who are in love. What happens to the brain? Three things happen that I want you to fill out. Three things. What happened to Mary? She gave away her backup plan. She had a year's wages. That's all she had. She gave it all up because of her relationship with Jesus. What happens to the brain? Three areas light up when somebody's in love. Number one, they have joy like they've never had before. Number two, they take risk like they've never taken before. And number three, they're attached like they've never been attached before. What happens when you are in love with Jesus? What happens is you have unexplainable joy 
You have and are willing to risk everything you have, and then you have an attachment that pulls you closer and closer and closer to Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, how's your joy? Ladies and gentlemen, are you willing to risk everything? She risked her whole retirement plan. Lord knows you will cut somebody out if they ask you to do that. But she was willing to do it for Jesus. And then thirdly, she was drawn to him. She couldn't help but take everything she had and pour it on his feet. What happened to Judas? What happened when you're not in love and you're faking it? Judas, he was frustrated at the extravagant gift in worship that Mary gave. And as a result, watch it now, he was joyless. Things became a duty. He was detached and he was safe. What's the difference? So now I don't have joy. I'm walking around criticizing everybody else around me. Now I am not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not willing to risk. I want to play it safe because I'm not in love anymore. I'm falling out of love. What's happening to me? Now I'm, everything I do is out of duty. I got to go to church today. I got, I got to read my Bible today. I'm doing it out of, I, I got to go serve. It's my duty. It's not out of an overwhelming sense of gratitude, joy, and delight. This is what we end up becoming when we have fallen out of love. And if you've fallen out of love, no wonder you have nothing to give to anybody else because you don't have it. It's no longer there. Let's see if I can land this plane now. And so, by the way, sometimes I just bring illustrations here, not because I want to use them, but to distract you so you think I'm going to use them. <laughs> It's the best illustrations there are, because you'll be like, I wonder what's that for? What's he going to do with that? Sometimes nothing, but today I have a, have a good one for this. So let me, let me tell you why, whenever you see a fire hydrant, they're all over, but whenever you see one, there are a couple of things you need to know. Number one, there is always a bubbling source, a pressurized source of water underneath it, every single one. It's always ready. It's ready to go. Ready, as long as you unlock it, water will flow and it will gush out. All because it's ready. Now, you only need a fire hydrant if you have a fire. So, so if somebody has a fire, then its job is to meet the need of that fire to keep people safe. So it has a source that's waiting to come out. And it, when there's a need, then it's ready to be used. Ladies and gentlemen, you are a spiritual fire hydrant. And God says, I have a source of love that I've given to you. And it's bubbling up on the inside. And it's waiting. It's waiting for somebody who hates you so that you can unlock my love and pour it out to them. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say your love. It's his love flowing through you. So if you're going to be the Christ follower that he's called you to be, then you've got to release the love of God out of your life to give it to somebody else. No, you got to be careful with this because every now and again, the fire hydrant, because it has not been used for a long time, gets rusty from the inside. And now it can cause damage because of the rust that, that cakes up over time and destroy. Be, be careful that God hasn't been telling you for years and years and years to love somebody. And you've had a hard heart. So instead of you responding to God, you have quenched the love of God and put a kink in the hole so that it can't flow through you. Because then the Holy Spirit can't talk to you. And when you, when you decide that you're going to quench the Spirit, now all of a sudden, 
he has to turn his back on you because you didn't want to release the love that he has placed inside of you. Ladies and gentlemen, you've got 15 seconds to write the name of the person you're going to talk to this week and you're going to make the first move of and you're going to love because your relationship with God is on test today. You don't want to talk to them? Then don't tell nobody you're in love with God. You're not. Because he says the number one way to know you're in love with me is when you're willing to love others. So I want you to write the name. Everybody, everybody, everybody. They say, hey, close, shut the doors of the church. You can't get out. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I really am joking. Uh, some people got, got heart palpitations over that, so I shouldn't say that. Um, um, but I really do want you to write the name. And then when you finish the name and you know the name the Holy Ghost wants you to talk to this week, then I want you to stand. All right, so you've got 15 seconds. And all I want you to do is write the name, write the two names, write the 15 names, write the, the last 100 people. Uh, it doesn't matter how many, just write them. And when you know it for sure that the Holy Ghost is telling you, you need to talk to this person, you need to make the first move. It don't matter what they do, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Then when you do that, then you stand because you're ready. And as you're standing, I want you to be praying. And I want to say, God, will you please help me to pour the love of God out toward them. Heavenly Father, it is me that need it today. It's nobody else around me. It's as if nobody else is in there but me and you, Jesus. Nobody else is at home but me and you, Jesus. And speak, Holy Spirit, because your son and your daughter's here today. We get it. The same scoop we use to them is the one you'll use to us. But since yours is big and massive and great, then we'll use one. That's similar to those around us. Anybody else in the house today? Anybody else in the house? Ask them. Make sure. It could be the person beside you. Don't wait for them to stand up. You stand up. And you can say, help me, Holy Ghost, today. In the name of Jesus. Because we've got, don't tell me you love him. You love Jesus. And you're saying it's too hard to love this person. He's done too much for you. You got five more seconds, and then we're going to pray, and then we're done. Heavenly Father, will you help us all? Every last one of us, help us, because we need you today. We've, we've justified it. We've rationalized it. Oh, no, everything is good. It's not a big deal. Oh, no, God, it's, I'm okay. They're okay. We're good. But you've been speaking to every heart, every heart, online and in the room. Will you help us to show the world that we are your disciples because we know how to love each other? Teach us how to do that this week and then give us the boldness and the courage to go have the conversation. It doesn't matter what they say. It's not, we can't control them. We can only control what you have asked us to do. So on today, we're declaring that we will walk in obedience because we want to be joyful. We want to take rich. We want to be drawn to you, not detached away from you. So will you help your people display the greatness? of God's love to a dark world that believe they should cut people out forever. Teach us how not to do that. In your son's name we pray. And everybody said? All right, if, no, 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 stay standing. If the person next to you, I just want you to tap them twice on the, on the shoulder just right here and say, I'm proud of you and I'm praying for you. Now give it up.